Just point me in. All right. Well, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Welcome to another phenomenal, exciting episode of the Is4 podcast. I am the host this evening, Monster G, and with me is the lovely, lovely Danger. Hello! We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With Monster. Help love me and be please help. Yeah. You are lovely. That beard is ferocious. It is getting quite ferocious. So Steven, Steven gives you crap, but I think he's just jealous. I think he, he's just hating. He is. I mean, those who can't have the beard are jealous of the beard. A game recognizes game. I can grow very little. I'm, I'm proud of yours. Yeah, I saw a t-shirt this weekend that I thought was great. It just was very simple. It just said, stay bearded. I like it. Stay bearded. Stay bearded. Stay, I, stay bearded. Sure I, the, I want this shirt. And I'm sure the young lady wearing it was also. <laughs> no, it was a large man. It was, okay, a, it was a large man. And he had a very small beard. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, on tonight's episode, we are talking about a topic B for the fantastic Mr. Clive Barker. Yes, Mr. Barker, creator no. of Hellraiser. Not exactly Hellraiser, because as I understand oh. it, he wasn't. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Calm down. Yeah. Calm yeah. down. Yeah. All right. Go uh, ahead. When, when most people think about horror literature, the, the, the names that come to mind uh, obviously are like Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, in more modern circles, you obviously Stephen King, uh, Dean Koontz. But as far as authors that are more than just authors, Clive Barker, I think, just reigns supreme. Not only has he written some incredible, incredible literature, he's directed films. He's written and produced video games. He's done all kinds of incredible artwork, just beautiful pieces of art. This, he's kind of, as far as horror goes, he's kind of the master of all of it. Let's not forget, he did have a run of comic books at one point. I don't know mm-hmm. if he still has it, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely still. And uh, I'm a firm believer that writing a comic book is on par with directing a movie because you have to write every part of everything that's going on everywhere all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into yeah. it. So we'll start at the very beginning. Uh, Clive Barker was born October 5th, 1952 in Liverpool, England, home of the Beatles. Home of um, the Beatles. Yes. So just like a lot of these other guys, like we talked about Rob Zombie before, a lot of these people that grow up fascinated with horror have a little something that happened in their childhood that kind of freaked them out a little bit. And spun and them Barker, along that path. Kinda, yeah. So when Clive Barker was three years old, he witnessed French skydiver Leo Valentin plummet to his death during a performance at an air show in Liverpool. Good lord. Um, yeah. So that I think that was sort of the the moment where like the scary stuff starts to kind of come to the surface a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody could have witnessed that without having some sort of you know outcome from it. And if you are talented in some way then that's going to come out in that, of course. I mean, to watch somebody plummet to yeah. their death. I can't imagine. So as he got a little bit older in the 60s and 70s, he started. He actually started uh, in theater first. Uh, he wrote several plays, but it was right in the early 80s is when he transitioned from the stage to, to writing literature. 
he started writing short stories. And what's interesting is the first book that he ever published was actually a collection of short stories. And by a lot of Clive Barker fans is considered possibly his best work. And so, that's the Book of Blood series. So he put out what was seen as, or what is seen as his best work, the first thing, really. You know, aside from the plays and things that he wrote before, the first big thing they put out. And so has the rest of his career been treading water and trying to get to <laughs> back to that? Not even close. <laughs> so when he so these books of blood that he came out with were basically collections of short stories. And they came out between 81 and 86. Now, in between those two things, he was writing other books and doing other stuff as well. But the Books of Blood are full of some of his most popular. And a lot of those short stories that were in the Books of Blood went on to become adapted into major motion pictures and comic books and all kinds of other things, including The Midnight Meat Train, Rawhead Rex, which is a disaster of a film but a great story yes uh, i do know that one is a disaster <laughs> i do not know midnight meat train but i do know that rawhead rex was cut off midnight meat train is is actually pretty good i would recommend checking that one out it's uh it goes some places and it's actually pretty close to the actual story which is neat how close can it be one? if it was a short story how short of the movie is it? well so especially with the midnight meat train the story so in interviews, Clive Barker said that basically he wanted to create a, a story very much in tune with you read the title, you know what you're getting into. He was inspired by films like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Like he wanted to make his own version of there's no, you know, fancy language here. This is what you're getting. Um, you know up front. But I think one of the most famous ones, especially um, – just so you know, everybody knows we are recording this in September of 2021. One of his most popular short stories was called The Forbidden, which got changed into one of the most popular horror movies of all time, Candyman. Great movie. And, I didn't. And, I haven't seen the remake, but the original I always loved. Tony Todd was amazing. Yeah, so I was just getting ready to say I have yet to see the, uh, the remake. I've heard mixed things. Jordan um, Peele, right? Uh, he produced it. He right. produced it. Uh, it was directed by a, a woman whose whose name is escaping me at the moment. I've heard mixed things. Tony Todd's performance in the original is captivating. It's horrific and beautiful and sad. It's real bees in his mouth. Nope. Like it wasn't a yeah. prosthetic. It wasn't anything. It was just actual bees in his mouth. So so I just recently saw a little bit uh, behind the scenes stuff on this. This is great. There was a little, like, mouth thing that they put in the back of his throat so he couldn't, like, swallow the bees. Yeah. But they were crawling all over him. Oh, yeah. And he put a clause in his, uh, in his contract that said that he got an extra $1,000 for every bee sting he got. That's he smart. made $23,000. Just off of bee stings? <laughs> he got stung 23 times yeah, and the filming. And I don't know if that was the first time he did it or the second time or what, but it's it's for him to do that more than once in the movie after getting stung yeah. in the mouth once. Is a he's a he's a he's devoted to his craft. So and I think so. When these books of blood are are being published, uh, I think uh, Stephen King was was a big endorser of his. Uh, I think the quote was. I have seen the new face of horror and it is Clive Barker. You know, he was he was becoming well known in in sort of literary 
in, in that community, um, that circle. Right. If you liked reading horror novels, you knew who Clive Barker was. But in 1987 is when Clive Barker really came on the scene. And that was when they released the film Hellraiser. Yes. For most people, I think Hellraiser was their introduction to Clive Barker. I want to say it was probably mine. Um, yeah. You know, I can't think of a Clive Barker property that I was aware of before that. I think maybe I had stumbled across uh, his comic books before that because I didn't really get into horror movies until later on, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know his name per se. Yeah, so so in 1987 is when the film was released, but it was based on a book that he wrote called The Hellbound Heart, which was published in 1986. The thing was, was it wasn't a film adaptation of his book that he wrote. Clive Barker wrote, produced, and directed the film. I didn't know he directed that movie. I, I knew yes. that he wrote the screenplay, and I know he was a producer on it, but I didn't know that he directed the movie. So he has directed three of his adaptation, and we'll get to the other two here in just a minute. Uh, the reason that he directed this is because Rawhead Rex, which came out before this, when he saw the way that film was made, he was so embarrassed and hated it so much that he was like, I, I just, I have to figure out how to do this myself. I can't let people do this to my, my work. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I can appreciate the fact that he saw a, a dog turd of a movie of his writing and it was like, yeah, no, no, not going to let this happen again. And I actually just saw, uh, I was watching a, a little thing about horror movies and, and Barker was on it and he was talking about Hellraiser and he said, basically he decided he was going to direct this movie. He had no idea what he was doing. And so he said, well, I guess I'll go to the library and check out a book on film directing. He said he went to the library. They had two books. And they were both checked out. And he was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> and Hellraiser, I, I mean, top 25 horror movies of all time. Okay, I mean, so it's, it's up there. So here's the thing about Hellraiser is I don't think Hellraiser was a very good movie. I think it was a very well written movie. I mean, he wrote the material and, you know, he created the, the source of it and then wrote the movie. I don't think it was a very good movie, but I love that movie. The thing about Clive Barker, which, I mean, I mean, this goes back to all of them, Stephen King, even R.L. Stein. You write things out of your imagination that cannot always be produced celluloid. Like, you right. can't always put to film what's in your brain. Yeah. Um, and I think Clive Barker's work suffers almost the most from, of that because his imagination is incredible. There, there's some stories, one in particular that comes to mind in the Books of Blood, uh, I think it's called Over the Mountains or In the Mountains or something like that. It's literally these giant people made up of other people, like, sewn together. And it's this incredible visual when you're reading it. Is it a living like, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. It's a living organism. And it's like, huh. how could you ever put that to film? It's the same with Hellraiser. There are certain things in that book that just cannot be put on film. Definitely not a rated R film that can be released in theaters. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I think that the you could probably do the things that were in his imagination now more than you could do them at that time. What'd you say? It was 87? So, I mean, yeah, you know, for you, sure, could, for sure. you could probably do a lot more now than you could then, even with practical effects, which I think right. Clive Barker would live best in practical effects. Or maybe now, a, a merging of the two. Now, that's a good segue, the, the practical effects thing, because 
1988, Clive Barker published another book called Cabal. Now, this is my favorite of his, like, novels. The Books of Blood are probably my favorite. I love his short stories. But as far as an actual novel, uh, I think Cabal is the best. And that was adapted into a film as well, the film Nightbreed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, Nightbreed, it was released in 1990, and this one was also directed by Clive Barker. They're the the um, creatures... A better job directing in uh, Nightbreed. I think it's because it's the second time around, but... Yeah. I think it's a much um, more well-made movie. I I struggle with it because for as, you know, obviously when you're adapting a book to film, very fantastical stuff, it's hard to really capture it. But Cabal, which became Nightbreed, is so just outlandish fantasy that the effects and the, the creatures in 1990 just could not keep up with what was going on in that. Right. And that's understandable. Now, I mean, I, I yeah. have... Okay, so... I haven't read any of his stuff. I have, you know, read comic books of his and, you know, the, the limit of the, you know, the ink on the page, you know, just the artwork on it was incredible, but it could be taken a step further. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were to translate any of what I saw in the comics to screen, it's going to be a massive budget that he probably couldn't get a hold of. You know, his writing is obviously going to be behind it. I don't think he needs to sit in the director's chair again, even though I know he's going to. Yeah, be a producer on it, sure. You know, make sure that your vision actually is fulfilled to its fullest, mm-hmm. you know. Well, so uh, he would sit in the director's chair one more time. Yep. Uh, he published a book in 1985 called The Last Illusion, and that film, uh, or that book, eventually became the film uh, Lord of Illusions. Okay. It came out in 1995. Never saw um, it. So this one's interesting. This one is, it does have horror elements. It does have the fantastical Clive Barker feel, but it's actually much more of a film noir detective story. Okay. Um, if you, if you like that kind of style, it's, it's kind of a slow mystery kind of, I don't want to say crime procedural, but it's not as, there's not a bunch of monsters running around. It's not quite as, you know, out there as something like Hellraiser or Candyman or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it it is, uh, as far as you, you kind of critiquing his directing skills, I would recommend possibly watching that one just so you can say you've seen all three of his okay. directed films yeah. because it's a totally different vibe from the other two. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about a slow burn of one of his, I mean, Candyman was a slow burn. It, mm-hmm. it really was because there was... You know, you knew about Tony Todd's character, you knew about the Candyman, mm-hmm. you knew what it was going to be, but it took a little bit to get there, and then it really didn't take hold as far as really being a truly scary movie until, I don't know, probably the last third or quarter of the movie? I mean, it really... It really... I want to say Candyman does not appear in the film until like the 44, 45 minute mark. Yeah. It... They talk about him, but it, it never actually comes up. It really did take a long time to get there, which I appreciate those types of horror movies. It takes yeah. a while to get to that point where it builds, you know, the suspense, builds the fear. Now, it should be noted that Bernard Rose is who directed Candyman. Uh, Clyde Barker did not direct that one. Right. And in his story, The Forbidden, Candyman is more of a, um, he almost looks like, the way he's described, almost sounds like a scary version of Groundskeeper Willie. Okay. He's got like crazy red hair he's got a hook he's like real like disheveled it was the film that actually took it into the um you know tony todd's portrayal 
uh, the inner city. Like I think it took place in England. Cabrini Green was like a, a English like housing development, but it wasn't like the ghetto inner city Chicago like the film did. Right. I, I Candyman the film did a really good job of taking the basic idea that Clive Barker had and kind of molding it into its own thing entirely. How did Clive Barker feel about Candyman? Everything I've seen, he loved it. Yeah. He, he had he had no problems with it. He liked the direction it went in. He liked the changes they made. You know, I, I feel like a lot of his stuff has been adapted, but it's not like Stephen King, where if Stephen King puts out a book, it's probably going to be turned into a movie. Right. I know, so Clive, I, think, I know Clive Barker's put out a lot of books, and there'd be a lot of movies and whatnot. Yeah, and... And, and they just don't gain his, as much ground. Right, right. He, as well-known as he is, especially in the horror community, if you walk up to, you know, some middle-aged man on the side of the road and say, you know, name a, a horror writer, they're going to say Stephen King. They're going to say Edgar Allan Poe. One in five or ten, the first name that's going to come to mind is Clive Barker, but that's not the typical just pop culture name. Right. I Clive Barker's not the first name that I would think of as a horror writer, even though I he is and I know him to be, you know. I sure, would, yeah. my my first one would probably be Stephen King, just because yeah. it's the biggest one and the first one that comes to mind. And and with that being said, Clive Barker, a lot of his early success is due to Stephen King giving him the seal of approval. You know? Especially back then in the in the eighties, thumbs up from Stephen King went a long way. Oh I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. to have a name as big as, you know, Stephen King to sign off and promote and endorse, yeah. you know, it would carry a lot of weight. For sure. For sure. So in addition to the books and and the films, Clive Barker is also an incredible artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he's painted these beautiful works of art again. Usually horror, usually fantastical, kind of grotesque. Yeah. But I didn't know this until doing this research. Apparently, in the revamped version of Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, yeah, there is something in there called the Academy of the Unseen. I saw it once, and it was very much okay. a background thing I put on. Okay. So, apparently, like that's like the witch's school or something? Yeah, I um, guess so. I know okay. they came out with a couple seasons of it, and I think I only did the first season, so I, yeah. I'm not going to claim well, to really know anything. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I've never, I've never actually watched it or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I do know that apparently uh, roughly 150 pieces of his artwork hmm. are used in there to, to decorate it and everything. That's cool. Um, in addition to the, the artwork, he's also worked on video games. Yes. Um, he wrote, uh, I'm not exactly sure what all of his involvement was. I think he wrote the story and possibly had a little bit of producing um, role as well for um, 2001, uh, the computer game called Clive Barker's Undying. Yes. Um, and then in 2007, he did Clive Barker's Jericho. Mm-hmm. I know those. I never played them, so. So I have seen playthroughs of Undying, and it's... It's very much a 2001 PC shooter. Like, it it has that appeal. Um, I actually, and I know everybody that plays video games is going to yell at me if they've ever played this game. I liked Jericho. I like Jericho quite a bit. Um, it's a first-person shooter that has a lot of horror elements. Um, it's, it's um, I guess, thing that makes it separate or makes it unique is it has a way 
uh, a mechanic where you can jump between different characters. That's cool. So there's like, there, you are part of a squad, and instead of like picking up different weapons and upgrades or whatever, you just switch between different party members and use whatever special powers they have or whatever weapons they have. And I'm guessing all the other party members are also there fighting alongside you? Yes, yes. So um, you have to hope that that one party member survived with the little bit of health that you left on him? So when they die, uh, it, it's 2007 is probably when I played the game, so I don't remember exactly. But I do remember enough. there were parts where at least one or two of your characters could heal other characters. Okay. So you would be fighting all these hordes of monsters and stuff, and you would jump from, you know the guy you are, you're getting ready to die, so you jump into the one of the healing guys and they can come help. Because why would you um, change at full health? <laughs> hmm. uh, it's It's been a very long time, but I remember thinking it was pretty cool. I would, if I had to compare it to anything, I would say something like Fear, okay. where it's, it's first person, it is a shooter, it's an action game, but there's enough horror elements sprinkled in that it, it gives it kind of a little bit of a different flavor. Okay. And by the way, I am a video game player and I would never yell at anybody for liking playing any game because everybody has a different taste of game and, you know, similar to music. I'm not going to tell somebody that they're wrong in liking the music. I mean, I'm not a fan of all the things, as you know, but, true, true. you know, everybody has a taste in music and movies and books and video games and whatnot. And if that's your thing, that's your thing. So. Yeah, but when it comes to when it comes to everything that I've ever seen as far as reviews of the game are very poor. Very, very poor. Oh, I and, believe that. And going back, like if I were to go back and try to play it now, I would I'd probably not be huge into it. I just remember when I was a kid and part of it was probably just because Clive Barker's name was on it. You know, in 2007, I would have been all about it. You know. Right. Yeah, um, I think there in the uh, there was a good stretch of time. You know, you talked about the 2001 game, uh, and I think there was a good stretch of time where they were going to put out any game on PC for whatever. I think the Who had a game. I think Queen had a game at one point. I mean, it's. I think I remember that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think VH1 had a game. I mean, it's there were <laughs> there were so many awful games that just got made because they were a property and they could yeah. get made. So. It's not surprising that he had a game or two, so. Yeah. Uh, so, as I was saying before, um, he's published several novels, several uh, collections of short stories. Um, for anybody that wants to get into Clive Parker, I would recommend the Books of Blood series. Um, they're pretty easy to find now. There's, uh, there's a couple of collections you can buy that either have all of them or Volume 1 and Volume 2 or whatever. But some of those are just absolute classics. And like I said, if you start clicking around long enough, you'll find that a lot of them, a lot of them have been adapted into some, some really good movies. I'll check out more of them. I'm, I'm quite curious about that now. So, yeah, so uh, I'll give you an example of one that I would highly recommend. It's called Dread. D-R-E-A-D. Okay. Now... This one is very interesting because there's no supernatural element to it. There's nothing fantastical. There's no uh, big scary monsters. There's none of that. It's basically college students performing a experiment on other college students. I'm not going to say that it goes into torture porn territory because it doesn't, but 
there is some it's it's very psychological it's very dark um the adaptation is good it's not great it has a couple people i think that were in the twilight films maybe but it 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 actually is a good it's a really good solid psychological scary movie okay i'll check it out yeah of course my first thought when you said dread was judge dread judge dread yeah i am the law yeah, he doesn't, uh, Sylvester Stallone doesn't, uh, show up. I think Judge Dredd is the sequel to Dredd, um, after he finds out about the, uh, experiments. Right. <laughs> as, as we kind of touched on earlier, Rawhead Rex, um. <laughs> I kind of so, want to watch that now, just, just watch it, because I, I don't think I've ever seen anything more than, really, clips, and... <laughs> I kind of want to sit down and watch it. It has yeah. been restored. It has been restored. No, nope, I want the original. Blu-ray. I want <laughs> I want the shittiest version I could find. Yes. So again, talking about how his imagination and just film in general cannot keep up. If anybody wants to, they should Google Rawhead Rex and see what this thing is they put in the movie. It is the worst rubber suit monster I think I've ever seen. Worse it than Pumpkinhead? Yes, yes, oh, worse God. than Pumpkinhead, absolutely. It it has no, like the mouth barely moves, it's got these weird red eyes, he doesn't blink, it's the worst, like, it's, it's terrible looking. Yes, I actually think maybe I did watch this entire movie once. Does he knock it over a trailer like, at one point? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, yeah. that's it. <laughs> there's, a great, there, there's a great, there's a great Red Letter Media episode yes. about it, yeah. Yes, okay. yes. I would say just watch that and not the movie. Yeah, fair enough. I don't need to go back even and watch Clyde it. Barker, I, I've even watched Clyve Barker. I've watched enough of it. Don't like it. I don't think <laughs> I don't. I don't think I saw the entire thing when I did because I have no memory of how it started or ended, honestly. So, but again, like, and, and I don't want to get too deep into this because you know I don't know the age of all of our listeners. But if you can just take a guess, what Rawhead Rex? actually sort of looks like in the book how do you even make that into a movie you know right not a movie that you can release in public theaters no it's a direct it's a direct to internet movie now you had mentioned too that you had never seen uh midnight meat train no okay highly recommend that one all right i'll watch it is that the one you said bradley cooper's in yes okay uh i don't i i I don't want to say it's his first role because i'm not sure but I know that it is um, early in his career, very early in his career. Um, he's very young, but he's still Bradley Cooper. I mean, he does a great job. He plays a photographer who um, basically has to take this train late at night, and he sees some stuff that he probably shouldn't see and starts to try to investigate, and obviously that's a that's a really, really bad idea. I'm looking up the director. Uh, the director is... I couldn't pronounce his name if I wanted to. Uh, Ryuhei Kitamura. And it looks like he's mostly known for doing Japanese films. Hmm. He was born in Osaka. Uh, he directed Versus. That's kind of a well-known movie. Um, anyway, sorry. I was, got off topic there. I, was, uh, I knew I, I thought the director had done something else that was kind of well-known, but maybe not. So I did know this. I, I know that it's not his first role. His first role, as I just found out, is actually Sex in the City in 1999. But I do Boy. know that he, he was in uh, Wet Hot American Summer, which is not uh, the sexy movie that the title gives it. I think it's actually a great movie. But I do know that he actually skipped graduation from theater school because he was in this movie. So. And, we, and 
In which movie? In, in Midnight Meat Train? In, no, in Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, I'm actually looking at Midnight Meat Train. I'm not seeing it anywhere here. Oh, there it is. Oh, no, he'd, he'd been around for a while at that point. That, yeah, that, yeah. that came out in 2008. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't I don't necessarily think it was his first role. I'm 90% sure it's the first time I ever saw him in a movie, but... Oh, I remember this. I remember funny. the. I remember the, the. I remember the poster now. Yeah. 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 All right. It's good. It's Midnight, really good. Midnight um, Meat Train. So, uh, a couple other things I was going to talk about, kind of Clive Barker's life in general. Um, most people probably know this. It's probably not a big shock, but Clive Barker is a gay man. Yes. Um, his sexuality plays a big role in a lot of his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you. Um, he, he actually, when he was younger, before he really started to take off, like before his books really started to get published and, and get sold, he was actually a male prostitute for a while. And you do what you got to do. Yeah. In 2003, he received the Davidson Valentini Award at the 15th Glad Media Awards, which I think is really dope. Just like when a horror movie wins an Academy Award, anytime a horror property or author or filmmaker wins like big time awards uh mainstream awards i think that's really cool actually that's something that i've actually had an issue with that horror movies for the most part have been left out of the big two major awards you know they i don't really feel like horror movies have gotten their due i know that there was a few years ago where where they did kind of an homage reel to Mm -hmm. uh two horror movies but then that was it and they moved right on from it they really horror movies don't get the respect they should. No, they absolutely do not. And the only time they do is when they have some sort of connection to classier films. Like Jaws, for example. Mm-hmm. It can go down as a classic. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. Steven Spielberg's not a horror director. He's a great director who directed a horror film. No, he actually, that movie alone, he actually directed a movie that caused fear of the ocean for years still causing fear of the ocean and i think it's a bit ridiculous myself but people are genuinely afraid of the ocean and they will cite jaws as the cause i can't think of a modern day horror director that really gets put up there with with the big names like you hear like just trying to think of some big name directors off the top of my head they're real popular right now like tarantino and um you know obviously scorsese and you know, guys like that. It doesn't matter what Sam Raimi does. They'll never put him up there in that category. I think the thing that got him the most attention probably was Spider-Man. Right. And if it wasn't for what he did on the Evil Dead films. Right. He would never got to do the Spider-Man film. Right. You know? But so, then you've got like Scott Derrickson that did horror movies and then did Doctor Strange. And now Sam Raimi's got Doctor right. Strange. <laughs> right. No, which I can't wait to see. Yeah. Now... Uh, also, uh, another thing with, with Clive Barker is, have you ever listened to him give an interview? Have you ever listened to him talk? No, I've heard him talk, but I don't think I've ever like, sat down and watched an interview with him. So, if you watch anything of him talking ar- before 2008, he sounds like a very eloquent, British, well-spoken man. Well, in 2008, 2009, around this time, he developed polyps on his throat that were actually so severe that the doctor told him he was only taking in 10% of the air he was supposed to be getting. And Um, he was a heavy cigar smoker, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. He was a big cigar smoker. 
he had to have uh, two surgeries to remove all the polyps, and he he actually makes a pretty big joke about it. Uh, he says he likes his voice now better than he did before. To me, it's hard to listen to. He sounds like he's in pain. He swears he's not. He swears he's better. He swears it's it's all good. But I recently listened to him read some of his poetry. It was it was rough, man. His, right. his voice now is kind of wild. No, I don't think I've ever listened to him before after that, so I don't know which one it was that I heard. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, the thing about Clive Barker and anybody that knows me knows I love Stephen King and I'm a big Stephen King fan as well. As you found, as we all found out, on K is for Stephen King. Right, exactly. As much as I love Stephen King, when he talks, he sounds like an old man sitting on the back porch having a beer telling you about his life. I I feel like Stephen King and David Lynch. Right, right. I think Stephen King and David Lynch sound like Boy Scouts, like nerdy little Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah. Stephen King sounds like a Boy Scout. You're right. I mean, just they do not sound anything like what you would expect them to. Clive Barker sounds like the most intelligent British literature teacher from Yale. Like he sounds he is so smart and so eloquent with his with his speaking, which, again, is part of the reason that his horror, to me, I don't want to say it's better, but it's more eloquent. It's more... Fleshed out, as, well-written. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't want to say well-written per se, but like Stephen King writes very matter-of-factly. Like when he describes something, it's very... This is what it is. Yeah, it can't the chair be anything is brown. Else. The chair is brown, it's made of wood. Whereas, you know, Clive Barker would want to say, you know... The pedestal was a mahogany brownish shade that reminds of blah, blah, blah. Like, it just flows, and it's a lot more poetic. Yeah, I got which, you. Which I think is a compliment and to his detriment for some people. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it gives you a bigger sense of everything that's there instead of just yeah. giving you an idea of a thing that's in a room. He like, gives you a feeling of everything that's around. Like, I feel like Stephen <clears throat> King, Dean Koontz, James Patterson, these guys are all of a certain ilk and they have a certain way of writing. Whereas Clive Barker harkens back, I think, a little bit more to the more Victorian stuff, the more Gothic stuff, your your Poe's, your Lovecraft's, even as far back as like Bram Stoker. You know, it, it has more back. of that. Yeah, but it has more of that flowery language, which to me, when I read his stuff, He's describing these horrific, just disturbing images with this beautiful, flowery prose. And it's like the juxtaposition is, is crazy. And I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. There shouldn't be a horrible, disgusting thing in the corner that makes you feel like it should be there. No, it's, but he, he has this way of describing... Uh, and, and again, I know you said you didn't think Hellraiser was, was a great movie, but I think... No, no, I don't think it was a great movie, but I love that movie. Right. I do. Especially the, like, the turn it takes in the hospital, like, it just... Mm. Yeah, yeah, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... What was it? Was it uh, the uncle on the floor, like, that was coming back? Body comes back together. With yeah, the like... Animation and stuff. Like, there were all of these things in this movie that I was like, this really isn't a very good movie, but I... <laughs> but I, I, I love it. It's so gross and disgusting. And I mean, let's give it up for, you know, the fact that he thought the audience will be okay with 
this woman kissing this skinless, faceless man, <laughs> you so, know? So what, so the point I was getting at was that the best, if you want to really understand what I'm trying to say here, as far as the, the beauty and the sexual and the flowery imagery mixed with the disgusting, horrific stuff. Hellraiser is a, the perfect like embodiment of that. Again, the film is hindered by some of its budgetary limitations, right. uh, the effects of the day, of course. But that mix of taboo sexuality with just horrendous gore and torture, like that's Clive Barker's brain 24-7. I think one of the things that bothered me about that movie the most, and still does every time I watch it, is why doesn't the husband just go into the room that his wife is obviously hiding something in? Just go in there and see what the hell is going on in there. I know he goes in at one point and doesn't see anything. You know, I don't know how you don't just peek around the corner and see the skinless man. But, you know, it's <laughs> there's there were things about that movie that made me go, well, that was stupid. <laughs> but you just kind of roll with it and go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people know this by now. This isn't like a new thing or whatever. But in the book, Pinhead is actually a woman. I didn't know it was a woman, but I know that he never actually gave it the name Pinhead. No, 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 no. It's it's there. It's really no name. It's just a a being. But what's pretty cool is the the detective from Lord of Illusions that we talked about earlier actually interacts with Pinhead. We'll just use Pinhead. Yeah, it's word. it's easy to refer to him that as that because. That's what I've known him as my entire life. Yeah, right, right. But just, it was actually in the 2000s. I don't remember exactly when, uh, but within the past 10 years or so, uh, Clive Barker released a novel called The Scarlet Gospels, and it actually brings back uh, the Cenobites and all of that. For the and first it, time in a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually, he took other characters from other works. I think the, the character's name is Harry Diamore. He's the detective. And he ends up working a case trying to track down Pinhead, and it goes into all kinds of crazy shenanigans. So but, he just um, puts all of his universes together and yeah, yeah makes yeah. a bigger universe. Now, he's also done a few other like um, more young adult fantasy novels. He one, one that I would highly recommend is called The Thief of Always. This is one that anybody can read. I think uh, my nephew read it when he was like 12 or 13 and thought it was great. It's a, I would put it in the same category as like Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz. Like there's some dark elements, but it's still, there, there's no sex. There's no outlandish gore. There's no bad language or anything. Yeah. And uh, it's a fantasy book. Yeah. I, I don't know if it has ever been adapted into an actual like, like full length major studio film. I think it might've been adapted to like some TV things before but uh so kind of most recently uh in his life in 2012 he actually clive barker contracted toxic shock syndrome what is toxic uh, shock syndrome so basically what that is is when something some kind of chemical some kind of bacteria gets into your bloodstream um and it basically shocks your system uh in his case this is horrific he had a visit to the dentist while he was there, somehow there was a spillage of poisonous bacteria that got into his bloodstream. It actually put him in a coma for several days. From the dentist. He yes. And so he almost died. So when he came back, he sort of got this new like resurgence of, okay, I'm not going to be around forever. 
I need to start finishing these things I'm working on. He had a new lease on life. Yes. So as of... Similar as of to Stephen year, King in his car accident. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As of this year, as of 2021, he has not released uh, this book yet, but he's been working on a novel now since this happened called Deep Hill. Don't know much about it, but I know that this whole like thing that happened in his life sort of like spurred him to write this this big epic novel. Um, I'm I'm hoping it's worth the wait. Unlike Stephen King, who releases a book every forty five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my dad texts me like three days ago, and he's like, "Hey, did you know Stephen King released a new book?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was a few months ago." He was like, "No, there's another one," <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I mean. Yeah. Uh, unlike a lot of creators, some of Stephen King's newer novels rival some of his classics. Yeah. They're, they're really solid books. And good for Mr. Um, King. I mean... Sure, sure. But uh, Clive Barker does not work that way. No. And, no, Clive Barker works like the rest of us a little bit <laughs> at a time. And, and he spreads his interests around. You know, like, like we just got them saying. Books, films, poetry, art, video games. I mean, Clive Barker is just a fan of horror, whatever medium you consume it in, sure, here's some. So I think he does suffer from something that I've seen happen to other people. And forgive me, I can't think of the names off the top of my head because I did not do research on this topic. But, (laughs) you know, you can't do everything great. And at a certain point, you got to go, okay, that wasn't something that I did well and I shouldn't do it again. I'm going to back off. I Mm -hmm. thrive at these other 42 things that Mm -hmm. I do. I don't yeah. need to do that one thing. And I think that he does that. And But he also does what those other people do, which is they keep doing it because they want to either get better at it or nobody tells them that they shouldn't do it. So Well, and I, and I think Clive Barker um, – here's the thing. I, I agree with you that Barker does certain things better than he does other things. Yeah. I think, number one, he's an incredible author. I think everything after his, his writing – is secondary to that. But I cannot think of another creator, horror or otherwise, really, who can do everything that he does at the level he does it at. Again, I'm not saying he's an incredible director, but I am saying that he's directed three films, two of them are cult classics, and one is considered one of the best horror movies ever made. And it's like, that's, that's pretty solid for something that's not even your first priority. You know, fair, um, fair enough. Yeah. Like me particularly, I've seen a lot of his artwork. I've read a lot of his poetry. Those are two things that don't click with me. I just don't. I, I like some of his paintings. I see where he's going with it, but they're not the kind of things that I can like flip through a book of and be like, wow, wow. Like when I look at H.R. Geiger, you know, I can flip through an, a Geiger book and just be mesmerized where right. Parker doesn't do that for me. Right. So I do want to go back and uh, and talk about. Hellraiser, because we've talked before about our our favorite horror um, critic, uh, Roger Ebert. Oh, yeah. and he, He's so respectful of horror films. Oh, yeah. Uh, initial interviews ranged from the Melody Maker calling it the uh, greatest horror movie made in Britain to Roger Ebert calling it it's a bankruptcy of imagination. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most, uh, like, like, when you think of, like, original ideas. I mean, especially at that time, middle of the 80s, you're getting stuff like Friday the 13th Part 4 and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. And then here comes this crazy 
weird. You got these demons that come out of a puzzle box and all this stuff. It's like so original, so creative and so unique. But no, it's a bankruptcy of imagination or whatever. So um, I did know this before and I wanted to find it before we started. So I had it pulled up. Um, Clyde Barker did have to make some cuts uh, for mm-hmm. the MPAA to give it an, uh, an R rating from an X rating. Um, a close up of Christy, uh, the love interest, the mom, uh, sticking her hand into Frank's stomach, exposing his guts. Sounds good. Um, something that should be practical effects now, <laughs> not then. Cause, right. Yeah. But I would like to see that and just how it would have been done then. But a longer scene where Frank was being torn apart. By the hooks mm-hmm. in the uh, very beginning, I believe. So it's like that's one of the first things you see in the movie, and it's you know quite jarring if you did not know what you're mm-hmm. going into. And uh, two and a half shots uh, were taken from the movie were first hammer murder, including close up of hammer lodged into the victim's head. Which is funny because that's the kind of stuff that I don't think if this film was made in 2021, would it really matter? Like, would you really have to cut that out right now? No, no, you wouldn't. I mean, the Saw movies tell us that you wouldn't have to cut that stuff out. No, probably not. To your point, Nightbreed, when it came out, was chopped all to hell. Um, Sure. And it's just within the past couple of years, they've kind of repackaged it and and stuck those like cut scenes out back into it. Um, It does suffer from the fact that there's a quality discrepancy like you like when the inserted shots come in you can tell like oh okay that wasn't in the film like it's see not a it's, it's not a finished and fully produced shot yeah. right but it actually encapsulates the entire vision that that barker had to the best of his ability at that time mm-hmm. um i do want to say that um there is a hellraiser remake coming and it mm-hmm. had nine sequels to it before, and so now they're yeah. doing a remake of it and a reboot, I guess, and just completely cutting off the sequel element of things, which should happen. Yeah. I saw back in uh, in May that Hulu had acquired the rights to it. So okay. Hulu, Hulu's okay. putting it out. Hulu just did a version of Books of Blood, too. Really? Which is, yeah, so I... There is a story in the Books of Blood short stories that is called that, and this is based on that, and I haven't watched it yet, but um, I am curious to see it. But yeah, so I know Hulu, they have an invested interest in Clive Barker, so I'm sure they would do it respectfully as far as remaking Hellraiser. I feel like all the major, you know, the big three streaming services kind of have their their things, but I think Netflix and Hulu kind of do the the horror thing a little bit more. Um, well, and, and and two, it was just a few years ago. I think Stephen King had a little bit of a resurgence. We saw a lot of new King adaptations come along, some remakes and stuff. That Dark Tower movie was oh terrible. Yeah, yeah it's not. Let's not even talk about that one. The uh, I think that's kind of happening with Clive Barker right now. The, cool. the Candyman remake is is really popular. They're talking about remaking uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser uh, Pinhead is now in a dead by daylight video game really so i think i think his just like the barker universe is becoming a little more well known and well good for him back to yeah i hope so i'd love to see some new stuff with today's technology i think some of his imagination can actually be put to screen a little better yeah good for him i uh i hope he i hope he gets it because you know i i want to see somebody of a talent with a great imagination be like you know right appreciated and brought into movies and whatnot. So. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right, that is it for this week's episode of the Is For Podcast, where we tackled the letter B for Clive Barker. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week for the letter C, which will be on... Captain America. All right, switching gears a little bit. Yeah, and not the... (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do something a little more happy. Not so patriotic, because I've dug deep into some Captain America trivia, and Captain America is not always the happiest character that we know him to be. He's not the Chris Evans, so... Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested to uh to to learn some stuff on that one myself. Yeah, it's uh I think it'll be fun. So we're gonna talk Captain America next week. Tune in for All right. C. All right. Thanks everybody. Yep, thanks. Bye. Bye.